Chapter Three of Book Six of Les Miserables, Volume Four, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Weaver. Les Miserables, Volume Four, by Victor Hugo, translated. By Isabel Florence Hopgood, Book Six, Little Gavroche, Chapter Three, The Vicissitudes of Flight. This is what had taken place that same night at La Force. An escape had been planned between Babet, Bourgeon, Guillemer, and Thenardier, although Thenardier was in close confinement. Babet had arranged the matter for his own benefit on the same day, as the reader has seen from Montparnasse's account of to Gavroche. Montparnasse was to help them from the outside. Brujon, after having passed a month in the punishment cell, had had time, in the first place, to weave a rope, in the second, to mature a plan. In former times, those severe places where the discipline of the prison delivers the convict to his own hands were composed of four stone walls, a stone ceiling, a flagged pavement, a camp bed, a grated window, and a door lined with iron, and were called dungeons. But the dungeon was judged to be too terrible. Nowadays they are composed of an iron door, a grated window, a camp bed, a flagged pavement, four stone walls, and a stone ceiling, and are called chambers of punishment. A little light penetrates towards midday. The inconvenient point about these chambers, which, as the reader sees, are not dungeons, is that they allow the persons who should be at work to think. So Brujon meditated, and he emerged from the chamber of punishment with a rope. As he had the name of being very dangerous in the Charlemagne courtyard, he was placed in the new building. The first thing he found in the new building was Guelemer, the second was a nail. Guelemer, that is to say, crime, a nail, that is to say, liberty. Brujon, of whom it is high time that the reader should have a complete idea, was, with an appearance of delicate health and a profoundly premeditated languor, a polished, intelligent sprig and a thief, who had a caressing glance and an atrocious smile. His glance resulted from his will, and his smile from his nature. His first studies in his art had been directed to roofs. He had made great progress in the industry of men who tear off lead, who plunder the roofs, and despoil the gutters by the process called double pickings. The circumstance which put the finishing touch on the moment peculiarly favorable for an attempt at escape was when the roofers were relaying and rejointing, at that very moment, a portion of the slates on the prison. The St. Bernard courtyard was no longer absolutely isolated from the Charlemagne and the St. Louis courtyard. Up above there were scaffoldings and ladders, in other words, bridges and stairs in the direction of liberty. The new building, which was the most cracked and decrepit thing to be seen anywhere in the world, was the weak point in the prison. The walls were eaten by saltpetre to such an extent that the authorities had been obliged to line the vaults of the dormitories with a sheathing of wood, 
because stones were in the habit of becoming detached and falling on the prisoners in their beds. In spite of this antiquity, the authorities committed the error of confining in the new building the most troublesome prisoners, of placing there the hard cases, as they say in prison parlance. The new building contained four dormitories, one above the other, and a top story which was called the bel air or fine air. A large chimney flue, probably from some ancient kitchen of the Dukes de la Force, started from the ground floor, traversed all four stories, cut the dormitories, where it figured as a flattened pillar, into two portions, and finally pierced the roof. Guelemer and Brujan were in the same dormitory. They had been placed, by way of precaution, on the lower story. Chance ordained that the heads of their beds should rest against the chimney. Thenardier was directly over their heads, in the top story known as Bel Air. The pedestrian, who halts on the Rue Culture Saint Catherine, after passing the barracks of the firemen, in front of the porte cochere of the bathing establishment, beholds a yard full of flowers and shrubs in wooden boxes, at the extremity of which spreads out a little white rotunda with two wings, brightened up with green shutters, the bucolic dream of Jean Jacques. Not more than ten years ago, there rose above the rotunda an enormous, black, hideous bare wall by which it was backed up. This was the outer wall of La Force. This wall, beside that rotunda, was Milton, viewed through Berquin. Lofty as it was, this wall was overtopped by a still blacker roof, which could be seen beyond. This was a roof of the new building. There one could descry four dormer windows guarded with bars. They were the windows of the Bel Air. A chimney pierced the roof. This was the chimney which traversed the dormitories. The Bel Air, that top story of the new building, was a sort of a large hall with a mansard roof, guarded with a triple gratings and double doors of sheet iron, which were studded with enormous bolts. When one entered from the north end, one had on one's left the four dormer windows, on one's right, facing the windows at regular intervals, four square, tolerably vast cages, separated by narrow passages, built of masonry, to about the height of the elbow, and the rest, up to the roof, of iron bars. Thenardier had been in solitary confinement in one of these cages since the night of the 3rd of February. No one was ever able to discover how and by what connivance he succeeded in procuring and secreting a bottle of wine, invested, so it is said by Derue, with which a narcotic is mixed, and which the band of the endormule, or sleep compellers, rendered famous. There are, in many prisons, treacherous employees, half-jailers, half-thieves, who assist in escapes, who sell to the police an unfaithful service, and who turn a penny whenever they can. On that same night, then, when little Gavroche picked up the two lost children, Brujan and Guelemer, who knew that Babet, who had escaped that morning, was waiting for them in the street as well as Montparnasse, rose softly, and with the nail which Brujan had found, began to pierce the chimney against which their bed stood. The rubbish fell on Brujan's bed so that they were not heard. 
showers mingled with thunder shook the doors on their hinges and created in the prison a terrible and opportune uproar those of the prisoners who woke pretended to fall asleep again and left guelemer and brujon to their own devices brujon was adroit guelemer was vigorous before any sound had reached the watcher who was sleeping in the grated cell which opened into the dormitory the wall had been pierced the chimney scaled the iron grating which bared the upper orifice and the flue forced and the two redoubtable ruffians were on the roof the wind and rain redoubled the roof was slippery what a good night to leg it said brujon an abyss six feet broad and eight feet deep separated them from the surrounding wall at the bottom of this abyss they could see the musket of a sentinel gleaming through the gloom they fastened on one end of the rope which brujon had spread in his dungeon to the stumps of the iron bars which they had just wrenched off flung the other over the outer wall crossed the abyss at one bound clung to the coping of the wall got astride of it let themselves slip one after the other along the rope upon a little roof which touches the bathhouse pulled their rope after them jumped down into the courtyard of the bathhouse traversed it pushed open the porter's wicket beside which hung his rope pulled this opened the port cochere and found themselves in the street three quarters of an hour had not elapsed since they had risen in bed in the dark nail in hand and their project in their heads a few moments later they had joined babet and montparnasse who were prowling about the neighborhood they had broken their rope in pulling it after them and a bit of it remained attached to the chimney on the roof they had sustained no other damage however than that of scratching nearly all the skin off their hands that night thenardier was warned without any one being able to explain how and was not asleep towards one o'clock in the morning the night being very dark he saw two shadows passing along the roof in the rain and squalls in front of the dormer window which was opposite his cage one halted at the window long enough to dart in a glance this was brujon thenardier recognized him and understood this was enough thenardier rated as a burglar and detained as a measure of precaution under the charge of organizing a nocturnal ambush with armed force was kept in sight the sentry who was relieved every two hours marched up and down in front of his cage with a loaded musket the bel air was lighted by a skylight the prisoner had on his feet fetters weighing fifty pounds every day at four o'clock in the afternoon a jailer escorted by two dogs this was still in vogue at that time entered his cage deposited beside his bed a loaf of black bread weighing two pounds a jug of water a bowl filled with rather thin bullion in which swam a few mayagan beans inspected his irons and tapped the bars this man and his dog made two visits during the night Thenardier had obtained permission to keep a sort of iron bolt which he used to spike his bread into a crack in the wall in order to preserve it from the rats as he said as Thenardier was kept in sight no objection had been made to this spike still it was remembered afterward that one of the jailers had said it would be better to let him have only a wooden spike at two o'clock in the morning the sentinel who was an old soldier was relieved and replaced by a conscript 
a few moments later the man with the dogs paid his visit and went off without noticing anything except possibly the excessive youth and the rustic air of the raw recruit two hours afterward at four o'clock when they came to relieve the conscript he was found asleep on the floor lying like a log near tenardier's cage as for tenardier he was no longer there there was a hole in the ceiling of his cage and above it another hole in the roof one of the planks of his bed had been wrenched off and probably carried away with him as it was not found they also seized in his cell a half-empty bottle which contained the remains of the stupefying wine with which the soldier had been drugged the soldier's bayonet had disappeared at the moment when this discovery was made it was assumed that thenardier was out of reach the truth is that he was no longer in the new building but that he was still in great danger Tenardier, on reaching the roof of the new building, had found the remains of Brejean's rope hanging to the bars of the upper trap of the chimney, but, as this broken fragment was much too short, he had not been able to escape by the outer wall as Brejean and Guelemer had done. When one turns from the Rue de Belay into the Rue de Roy Cecile, one almost immediately encounters a repulsive ruin there stood on that spot in the last century a house of which only the back wall now remains a regular wall of masonry which rises to the height of the third story between the adjoining buildings this ruin can be recognized by two large square windows which are still to be seen there the middle one that nearest the right gable is barred with a worm-eaten beam adjusted like a prop through these windows there was formerly visible a lofty and lugubrious wall which was a fragment of the outer wall of la force the empty space on the street left by the demolished house is half filled by a fence of rotten boards shored up by five stone posts in this recess lies concealed a little shanty which leans against the portion of the ruin which has remained standing the fence has a gate which a few years ago was fastened only by a latch it was the crest of this ruin that Thenardier had succeeded in reaching a little after one o'clock in the morning. How had he got there? That is what no one has ever been able to explain or understand. The lightning must at the same time have hindered and helped him. He had made use of the ladders and scaffoldings of the slaters to get from roof to roof, from enclosure to enclosure, from compartment to compartment, to the buildings of the Charlemagne court then to the buildings of the st louis court and thence to the hut on the rue de roy de sicily had he made use of the ladders and scaffoldings of the slaters to get from roof to roof from enclosure to enclosure from compartment to compartment to the buildings of the charlemagne court then to the buildings of the st louis court to the outer wall and thence to the hut on the rue de roy de sicily but in that itinerary there existed breaks which seemed to render it an impossibility had he placed the plank from his bed like a bridge from the roof of the bel-air to the outer wall and crawled flat on his belly on the coping of the outer wall to the whole distance round the prison as far as the hut but the outer wall of the force formed a crenellated and unequal line it mounted and descended it dropped at the fireman's barracks it rose towards the bathhouse it was cut in twain by Bilton. It was not even of the same height on the Hotel Lamignon as on the Rue Pavie. 
everywhere occurred falls and right angles and then the sentinel must have espied the dark form of the fugitive hence the route taken by tournardier still remains rather inexplicable in two manners flight was impossible had tournardier spurred on by the thirst for liberty which changes precipices into ditches iron bars into waddles of oyster a legless man into an athlete a gouty man into a bird stupidity into instinct instinct into intelligence and intelligence into genius had tournardier invented a third mode no one has ever found out the marvels of escape cannot always be accounted for the man who makes his escape we repeat is inspired there is something of the star and of the lightning in the mysterious gleam of flight the efforts toward deliverance is no less surprising than the flight toward the sublime and one says of the escaped thief how did he contrive to scale that wall in the same way that one says of corneille where did he find the means of dying at all events dripping with perspiration drenched with rain with his clothes hanging in ribbons his hands flayed his elbows bleeding his knees torn tenardier had reached what children in their figurative language call the edge of the wall of the ruin there he had stretched himself out at full length and there his strength had failed him a steep escarpment three stories high separated him from the pavement of the street the rope which he had was too short there he waited pale exhausted desperate with all the despair which he had undergone still hidden by the night but telling himself that the day was on the point of dawning alarmed at the idea of hearing the neighboring clock of st paul strike four within a few minutes an hour when the sentinel was relieved and when the latter would be found asleep under the pierced roof staring in horror at a terrible depth at the light of the street lanterns the wet black pavement that pavement longed for yet frightful which meant death and which meant liberty he asked himself whether his three accomplices in flight had succeeded if they had heard him and if they would come to his assistance he listened with the exception of the patrol no one had passed through the street since he had been there nearly the whole of the descent of the market gardeners from montreux from charon from vincennes and from bercy to the markets was accomplished through the rue saint antoine four o'clock struck Thenardier shuddered. A few moments later, that terrified and confused uproar which follows the discovery of an escape broke forth in the prison. The sound of doors opening and shutting, the creaking of gratings on their hinges, a tumult in the guardhouse, the hoarse shouts of the turnkeys, the shock of the musket butts on the pavement of the courts reached his ears. Lights ascended and descended past the grated windows of the dormitories. A torch ran along the ridge-pole of the top story of the new building. The firemen belonging in the barracks on the right had been summoned. Their helmets, with the torch lighted up in the rain, went and came along the roofs. At the same time, Thenardier perceived in the direction of the Bastille a wan whiteness lighting up the edge of the sky in doleful wise. He was on top of a wall ten inches wide stretched out under the heavy rains with two gulfs to the right and the left unable to stir subject to the giddiness of a possible fall and to the horror of a certain arrest 
and his thoughts, like the pendulum of a clock, swung from one of these ideas to the other. Dead if I fall, caught if I stay. In the midst of this anguish he suddenly saw the street being still dark. A man who was gliding along the walls and coming from the Rue Pavie, halt in the recess, above which Thenardier was, as it were, suspended. Here this man was joined by a second, who walked with the same caution, then by a third, then by a fourth. When these men were reunited, one of them lifted the latch of the gate in the fence, and all four entered the enclosure in which the shanty stood. They halted directly under Thenardier. These men had evidently chosen this vacant space in order that they might consult without being seen by the passers-by, or by the sentinel who guards the wicket of La Force a few paces distant. It must be added that the rain kept this sentinel blocked in his box. Thenardier, not being able to distinguish their visages, lent an ear to their words with the desperate attention of a wretch who feels himself lost. Thenardier saw something resembling a gleam of hope flash before his eyes. These men conversed in slang. The first said in a low but distinct voice, "'Let's cut! What are we up to here?' The second replied, "'It's raining hard enough to put out the very devil's fire, and the bobbies will be along instanter. There's a soldier on guard yonder. We shall get nabbed here.' These two words, I she go, and I see Calais, both of which mean I see, and which belong, the first to the slang of the barriers, the second to the slang of the temple, were flashes of light for Thenardier. By the I see go, he recognized Brujon, who was a prowler of the barriers. By the I see Calais, he knew Babet, who was, among his other trades, had been an old clothes broker at the temple. The antique slang of the great century is no longer spoken except in the temple, and Babet was really the only person who spoke it in all its purity. Had it not been for the icy Calais, then Thenardier would not have recognized him, for he had entirely changed his voice. In the meanwhile the third man had intervened. There's no hurry yet. Let's wait a bit. How do we know that he doesn't stand in need of us? By this which was nothing but French, Thenardier recognized Montparnasse, who made it a point in his elegance to understand all slangs, and to speak none of them. As for the fourth, he held his peace, but his huge shoulders betrayed him. Thenardier did not hesitate. It was Guelemer. Brujon replied almost impetuously, but still in a low tone, "'What are you jabbering about? The tavern-keeper hasn't managed to cut his stick. He don't tumble into the racket, that he don't. You have to be a pretty knowing cove to tear up your shirt, cut up your sheet to make a rope, punch holes in doors, get up false papers, make false keys, file your irons, hang out your cord, hide yourself, and disguise yourself. The old fellow hasn't managed to play it. He doesn't understand how to work the business. Babet added, still in that classical slang, which was spoken by Polière and Cartoux, and which is to the bold, new, highly colored, and risky argot used by Brujon, what the language of Racine is to the language of André Chenier. Your tavern-keeper must have been nabbed in the act. You have to be knowing. He's only a greenhorn. He must have let himself be taken in by a bobby, perhaps even by a sheep who played it on him, as his pal. Listen, Montparnasse, do you hear those shouts in the prison? 
You have seen all those lights. He's recaptured there. He'll get off with twenty years. I ain't afraid. I ain't a coward. But there ain't anything more to do, or otherwise they'd lead us a dance. Don't get mad. Come with us. Let's go drink a bottle of old wine together. One doesn't desert one's friends in a scrape, grumbled Montparnasse. I tell you he's nabbed, retorted Brujon. At the present moment the innkeeper ain't worth a halfpenny. We can't do nothing for him. Every minute I think a bobby has got me in his fist. Montparnay no longer offered more than a feeble resistance. The fact is that these four men, with the fidelity of ruffians who never abandoned each other, had prowled all night long about La Force, great as was their peril, and the hope of seeing Tonardier make his appearance on the top of some wall. But the night, which was really growing too fine, for the downpour was such as to render all the streets deserted, the cold which was overpowering them soaked their garments, their whole ridden shoes, the alarming noise which had just burst forth from the prison, the hours which had elapsed, the patrol which they had encountered, the hope which was vanishing, all urged them to beat a retreat. Montparnasse himself, who was perhaps almost Tonardier's son-in-law, yielded. A moment more, and they would be gone. Tonardier was panting on his wall like the shipwrecked sufferers of the Meduse on their raft, when they beheld the vessel which had appeared in sight vanish on the horizon. He dared not call to them. A cry might be heard and ruin everything. An idea occurred to him. A last idea. A flash of inspiration. He drew from his pocket the end of Brujon's rope, which he had detached from the chimney of the new building, and flung it into the space enclosed by the fence. The rope fell at their feet. "'A widow,' said Babet. "'My tortue,' said Brujon. "'The tavern-keeper is there,' said Montparnasse. They raised their eyes. Ternardier thrust out his head a very little. "'Quick,' said Montparnasse. "'Have you the other end of the rope, Brujon?' "'Yes.' not the two pieces together we'll fling him the rope he can fasten it to the wall and he'll have enough of it to get down with ternardier ran the risk and spoke i am paralyzed with cold we will warm you up i can't budge let yourself slide we'll catch you my hands are benumbed only fasten the rope to the wall i can't then one of us must climb up said montparnasse three stories ejaculated Brigham. The ancient plaster flue which had served for a stove that had been used in the shanty in former times ran along the wall and mounted almost to the very spot where they could see Tenerier. This flue, then much damaged and full of cracks, has since fallen, but the marks of it are still visible. It was very narrow. One might get up by the help of that, said Montparnasse. By that flue? exclaimed Babet. A grown-up cove? Never. It would take a brat. A brat must be got, resumed Brajan. Where are we to find a young un? said Guillemere. Wait, said Montparnasse. I've got the very article. He opened the gate of the fence very softly, made sure that no one was passing along the street, stepped out cautiously, shut the gate behind him, and set off at a run in the direction of the Bastille. Seven or eight minutes elapsed. Eight thousand centuries to Thernardier. Babet, Brujon, and Guillemere did not open their lips. At last the gate opened once more, and Montparnasse appeared, breathless, and followed by Gavroche. The rain still rendered the street completely deserted. 
little gavroche entered the enclosure and gazed at the forms of these ruffians with a tranquil air the water was dripping from his hair guelemer addressed him are you a man young un gavroche shrugged his shoulders and replied a young un like me's a man and men like you are babes the brat's tongue is well hung exclaimed babet the paris brat ain't made of mere straw added brujon what do you want asked gavroche montparnasse answered climb up that flue with this rope said babet and fasten it continued brujon to the top of the wall went on babet to the crossbar of the window added brujon and then said gavroche there said guelemer the gamin examined the rope the flue the wall the windows and made that indescribable and disdainful noise with his lips which signifies is that all there's a man up there whom you are to save resumed montparnasse will you began brujon again greenhorn replied the lad as though the question appeared a most unprecedented one to him and he took off his shoes guelemer seized gavroche by one arm and set him on the roof of the shanty whose worm-eaten planks bent beneath the urchin's weight and handed him the rope which brujon had knotted together during montparnasse's absence the gamin directed his steps toward the flue which it was easy to enter thanks to the large crack which touched the roof at the moment when he was on the point of ascending thenardier who saw life and safety approaching bent over the edge of the wall the first light of dawn struck white upon his brow dripping with sweat upon his livid cheekbones his sharp and savage nose his bristling gray beard and gavroche recognized him hello it's my father oh that won't hinder and taking the rope in his teeth he resolutely began the ascent he reached the summit of the hut bestrode the old wall as though it had been a horse and knotted the rope firmly to the upper crossbar of the window a moment later thenardier was in the street as soon as he touched the pavement as soon as he found himself out of danger he was no longer either weary or chilled or trembling the terrible things from which he had escaped vanished like smoke all that strange and ferocious mind awoke once more and stood erect and free ready to march onward these were the man's first words now whom are we to eat it is useless to explain the sense of this frightfully transparent remark which signifies both to kill to assassinate and to plunder to eat true sense to devour let's get well into a corner said brujon let's settle it in three words and part at once there was an affair that promised well in the rue plumet a deserted street an isolated house an old rotten gate on a garden and lone woman well why not demanded thenardier your girl eponine went to see about the matter replied babet and she brought a biscuit to magnon added guelemer nothing to be made there the girl's no fool said thenardier still it must be seen to yes yes said brujon it must be looked up in the meanwhile none of the men seemed to see gavroche who during this colloquy had seated himself on one of the fence posts he waited a few moments thinking that perhaps his father would turn towards him then he put on his shoes again and said is that all you don't want me any more my men now you're out of your scrape i'm off i must go and get my brats out of bed and off he went the five men emerged one after another from the enclosure when gavroche had disappeared at the corner of the rue de belay 
Babet took Thénardier aside. "'Did you take a good look at that young un?' he asked. "'What young un?' "'The one who climbed the wall and carried you the rope.' "'Not particularly.' "'Well, I don't know, but it strikes me that it was your son.' "'Bah!' said Thénardier. "'Do you think so?' End of Book Six, Chapter Three. Recording by Rachel Weaver, Boston, Massachusetts.